morning, everybody. And thank you very much for the warm welcome uh, this morning. Warm in here, not quite so warm outside, um, but very good to be with you. I uh, think I last preached here in 2013, uh, so it's good, always good to be welcomed back somewhere, because uh, you obviously didn't do too bad. Um, anyway, it's good to be here, good to be with you. I don't know about you, but um, when my children were growing up, I have two children. They're not children anymore. My son's nearly 23 and my daughter's 18 next week. Uh, but when they were growing up and we'd go on a long journey, they would play a very particular game on the back seat of the car. Uh, the game was called Would You Rather? And if you've got children, you may know the game. And they would kind of, one would say to the other, Would you rather A or B? And one of them had to choose. And then it would get quite extreme in our car because they would say, choose or die. Very serious on the back seat of our car. So I thought uh, we'd play that game this morning, uh, particularly with the choir. So are you ready? It's like the back seat of the car with the choir behind me. So here's the first one. There's no opting out. This is choose or die. Okay. First one, would you rather, this is very serious now, be Batman or Superman? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to say whether you're Batman or Superman. Who would rather be Batman? Ooh. Who would rather be Superman? More for Superman. I'm with Batman. The gadgets. Batman has lots of gadgets and lots of toys. Who would rather be Batman out here? Who would rather be Superman? You, you like wearing the pants outside the trousers. That's what it is, isn't it? Just on a Friday. Anyway, next one. Who would rather have the ability to stop time or the ability to teleport? Teleport's that kind of thing. And you know in Star Trek, beam me up Scotty and you immediately move from one place to the other. Are you ready, choir? Who would rather have the ability to stop time? Oh, okay. Who would rather have the ability to teleport? I'm with the teleport people. Uh, particularly when you're circling Heathrow for an hour in Storm Dennis and landing with the bumpiest landing I've ever had in my life. Uh, teleporting from Bulgaria to Westminster Central Hall would have been a great thing to do. What more? This is getting very serious now. Who would rather, would you rather be pecked to death by a pigeon or pinched to death by a crab. Uh, you're going to die anyway, so you're dead. Would you rather be pecked to death by a pigeon? There is a point to this, I promise. Or pinched to death by a crab. Who's going pecked to death by a pigeon? Who's getting pinched to death by a crab? Yes, I'm definitely with the pinched to death by a crab, because by the time it got to my eyes, I think I'd be dead and gone, and I don't fancy a pigeon picking out my eyes, I don't think. Anyway, final one, final one. We can all play this one. Would you rather bow before an idol or go into a fiery furnace? Your choice. We'll leave that one. I won't get you to vote. It wasn't a game for three guys in Daniel chapter 3. 
They were doing what they thought was right. They were serving their God, and in the midst of all of that, they're faced with a severe would-you-rather scenario that was like the back seat of my car on a long journey, a choose-or-die situation. Would you rather bow before an idol, give in, or go into a fiery furnace? Our story happens after Babylon has conquered Israel and the Babylonian king, uh, a man named Nebuchadnezzar, has decided what he wants to do is find the best of the Jewish people, the cream of the crop, and bring them to work in the palace alongside him. And so he sends out his scouts who search uh, the captors to find the best and most intelligent uh, that he can find. And three of those that are brought to the palace, we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, of course, that wasn't their real names. That's not the names they were given as children. Their real names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, but when they're taken into exile, Nebuchadnezzar is wanting to strip away as much as possible of their history of the, uh, and their heritage, and so they're given new names. So actually the names that we affectionately know, and in Sunday school we've learned the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were actually offensive names uh, to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was about them having their history, their story, their identity completely stripped away and given these new offensive names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But here they are, having had their story stripped, their history taken away, now living and working in the palace. And they reach the top, they reach the cream of the crop. In the three years that they're there, they reach the top. So they've, they've actually got, compared to their family and their friends and the people that they've grown up with, They've actually got quite a nice existence. I guess their accommodation is better than most. I guess the food that they consume in the palace is better than most. I guess the wine that they drink is the best. And then suddenly, the day comes when Nebuchadnezzar gets a bad case of deity envy. Decides he's going to choose who people will worship. He's going to choose to whom people will bow the knee. And so he sets up this idol in the marketplace and says, when the music plays, uh, the flutes and the zither and the lyre and the whole list of instruments that we heard in the passage, when the music plays, you will bow before this idol. Otherwise, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. And the music plays. And the nation bows and the people bow all except Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, what happens, of course, if everyone else is face down on the floor and you're bolt upright, you tend to stand out a little bit. People tend to notice you. If everyone else is flat on the floor and you're stood straight up, you stand out to everybody else. And so they get summoned. They get summoned to Nebuchadnezzar. As his advisors say, Nebuchadnezzar, everyone bowed apart from three of your best. What are you going to do? And so Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to him. 
And he, he kind of, he thinks he's a fair king and wants to give them a second chance. And so he says it again. Guys, when the music plays, just in case you didn't hear it the first time round, just in case you didn't quite understand what I'd said, I'm just going to say this again, and I'm going to say it slowly. When the music plays, you bow down before the idol. If you don't, well, you will face the fiery furnace. Now, I guess what's running through Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's minds are, are words that they've grown up with, words of their faith. Words like Deuteronomy 5 where it says, You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. They're the words that are ringing in Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's mind, we can't do this. If we're going to be faithful to the God that we believe in, the God that we serve, we cannot bow down. And so they respond to Nebuchadnezzar. And it's the, the response to Nebuchadnezzar, the, the three verses, verses 16, 17, and 18, in Daniel chapter 3, that I just want us to briefly focus on this morning. Their very specific response back to Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They were absolutely convinced they were doing the right thing. They were committed to this course of action. They were willing to put everything on the line for their faith and for their God. Talk is cheap, isn't it? We can say all kinds of things. We can say that we will always do the right thing. But what happens when doing the right thing starts to cost us? You know, we, we, I guess, here at Central Hall, just like other Methodist churches around the world, at the beginning of a new year, you shared in a covenant service. And you will have shared very particular words. I have no idea which version you use of the covenant service. Um, but if you use the, the proper one, I mean, sorry, the one I prefer, you will have said this. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. You'll have said those words in, in any Methodist context that you found yourself in at the beginning of January. And you'll have said those words with confidence and enthusiasm. But talk is cheap. What is it when it starts to cost us? When, when standing firm for our faith in Jesus costs us? 
What happens when standing firm costs you acceptance with friends and family? What happens when standing firm and commitment to truth and integrity costs you advancement in career or money or place in community? What happens when you are placed in front of a blazing furnace and you are told to bow or burn? And guess there are not many blazing furnaces in the middle of Westminster. But there are moments in our journey... There are moments as we journey through life where we have our bow or burn moments. When we are asked to stand firm for truth, to stand firm in our faith, (coughs) what happens then to us? We see uh, in Daniel chapter 3 the strength of these three guys. And we begin to discover that they believed in God's purpose. They knew what they were doing and what they had to do. And because of that, it says, they didn't need to say anything. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. They didn't have to convince themselves. And they knew they could never convince Nebuchadnezzar that they were right. So what was the point? We just need to stand firm. It wasn't... uh, that they, they couldn't defend themselves, they didn't need to defend themselves. Actually, you read the story of Jesus, he did something very, very similar. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, we read these words. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. He simply stayed silent. Jesus didn't have to convince himself. And he knew he would never convince Pilate or the leaders. He didn't need to defend himself in that moment. He just stood firm. The course of action was going to unfold. There are times in your life when you simply just need to stand firm. And see how it plays out. I'm reminded of the um, situation facing Martin Luther when he took a stand against the Catholic Church just over 500 years ago. And he's called in front of the powers that be and he's given the chance to recant, to take back, to change. Much like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, he's given a second chance. And Luther said this, Martin Luther's words, Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. We don't need to defend ourselves before you, Nebuchadnezzar. We know we are right. We know this course of action is the right one to take. And then as we continue reading in those three verses from Daniel chapter 3, it says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's mighty hand. Just listen to the confidence of three young men. Confidence and a belief in a God who is able to do and is able to rescue them from anything. They stand with a history. 
They stand with the stories of the people of God ringing in their mind. They stand with the stories of God's faithful people, Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and a whole host of others. People who stood firm and God had rescued and delivered and saved again and again and again. And so they stand with the stories of the people of God, the testimonies of faith of the people of God ringing in their ears. They, they stand with words like this from Psalm 55. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me. Even though many oppose me. They heard the testimonies of faith ringing in their head and this was their moment. I think one of the things we have lost as a church, and maybe our president of conference this particular year is trying to redress this, is the power of testimony. The power of the stories of the people of God, the people of faith, telling us again and again of a God who continues to rescue and to save and to heal and to deliver and to restore. Because it's those testimonies of faith of the people of God who know that God can rescue and know that God can do all things. It's those stories of faith that give us the ability in those moments when we face our bow or burn situation that we can stand firm. Because those stories are constantly ringing in our minds. Yes, of course we can go back to the stories of this book. Of course we can. But what about the stories of this congregation? The stories of the folk you are sat next to. We have our stories of faith. And we have our stories of a God who is faithful again and again and again. And it's those stories of this community that enable us to stand firm together. And then we get this line in Daniel 3, verse 18. Probably the most important line in the whole passage. Having said we don't need to defend ourselves, we know we are doing the right thing. Having said we believe in a God who can do anything and he's bigger than a blazing furnace. And he can rescue us and whatever he will take us from you. We get this line. But even if he does not... Even if he does not. Even if this is our bow out moment. Even if this is the curtain call on our story. Even if this is the end of the line and the end of the journey. We're going out with our heads held high. We're going out faithful to the end. We're going to enter glory with our heads high. Knowing that we have stood even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We will never, no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes. Well, we have the benefit of knowing the end of this story. They did not. They knew they faced a choice. Bow or burn. And it was more important for them to stay faithful and obedient to God than anything else. God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, we still will not bow. And, and we know, of course, uh, there are 
for some moments we, we, we understand the stories of Christian martyrs through the centuries. There are for some moments when taking a stand is the end of the story. I have a favorite book on my bookshelf. Quite an unusual title. It's called Jesus Freaks. But it's the stories of people through every generation and right across this planet who've given their life as martyrs for their faith in Jesus Christ. Stories of people of every age, from young to old, men and women, boys and girls. Stories through every century. Stories for whom to stand firm for Jesus meant it cost them everything, but it was still more important to stand firm. What's the end of this story? Well, of course, Nebuchadnezzar is as good as his word. They don't bow. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego find themselves in a fiery furnace. And so they're placed in the furnace. And the, the door is closed. And the fire is lit. What does Nebuchadnezzar do at that moment? Does he go for a nice bottle of red wine and a good steak? Does he go for a night out on the town? No. He stays put. And he watches what happens. Why does Nebuchadnezzar stay and watch? Every other time Nebuchadnezzar has placed anybody in a blazing furnace, there's been one outcome to that. Ash. Nothing else. Why on this occasion does Nebuchadnezzar decide to stay and watch that happen? Because there has been something different about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. That's made him wonder. I just wonder. You know, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, whether we like it or not, people are watching us. And they're particularly watching when life gets hard and life gets tough. Because they're watching to see if being a follower of Jesus makes any difference at all. Because if being a follower of Jesus makes no difference when life is hard, then what's the point? If our lives don't look any different at that point, then what's the point? Nebuchadnezzar wondered and he watched. And then we hear these words. As he's watching, we hear these words. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, he said, look, I see four men, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. As he watched this story play out, as he watched the faithfulness of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Nebuchadnezzar saw miracles happen before him. He saw the miraculous power of God at work in three young men who stood firm for their faith. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace, it says, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then listen to this. This is what he shouted. Servants of the Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar recognized something in this moment of the power and majesty of the living God. 
because three young men had remained faithful and stood firm. He saw the power of God at work and recognized something he'd never seen before. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. It's a story of faithfulness. It's a story of three men who said, no, we are not going to give in. And it's a story of three men who allowed the miraculous work of God to be seen in their life as they simply lived out their faithfulness. I firmly believe that as we live out faithful lives in our community, folk will see the miraculous power of God at work in and through us day by day. Um, there is one other story I just want to finish with. I have no idea how long I've gone on, but I'm going to just read some words from Acts chapter 7 to conclude. It's a story very similar uh, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the story of a man who's asked to uh, remain faithful. Of course, the end of this story is different. This is the story of the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. The first who for standing firm meant it cost him everything. Let's listen to these words. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. He'd remained faithful. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Just listen to the words. Stephen, who's remained faithful, that faithfulness and standing firm has now cost him everything. As he's closing his eyes on this life, he catches a glimpse of heaven. It says he sees heaven and he sees Jesus in this glimpse, in this vision, in this moment before he passes away. And it says he sees Jesus. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is standing. This is the only recorded occasion of Jesus standing in heaven. Every other occasion in scripture when it talks about Jesus at the right hand of the Father, he is seated. In our creeds, the creeds of the church, it talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father. Every other image we have is of Jesus seated. This is the only time. And it's as Stephen lays down his life, Jesus gets out of a throne and he stands to receive Stephen home. There is almost this moment and you can almost hear the words as Jesus stands to receive Stephen who has remained faithful. You can almost hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. As we live out our life, as we tell our story, as we say, I'm no longer my own but yours, my prayer for me and for us is that we are God's faithful people here and now. Standing firm for him, living for him, allowing the miraculous work of God to be seen through us as we live our lives day by day. And as we reach the end, whenever that may be, I pray we are too are people who get Jesus standing. Because of our faithfulness to him.
because of our love for him. Would you rather bow before an idol or go into a fiery furnace? Your choice. We sing together, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Please stand to sing.